I know he well, was acquitted. Yeah, could have predicted that. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more taxes. He was acquitted. Well, what's surprising to me is that seven GOP senators actually actually voted to like convict him. No kidding. Convict him um, on what? On um, inciting the insurrection. But okay. it's in, it's so it's so like weaselly how they. Because like even Mitch McConnell gave this speech where he was like, oh, there's no question that he did it, but, you know, or that he incited them to come to the Capitol and, and target members of Congress. But he's not in office anymore, so convicting him wouldn't do anything. Um, we'll just leave that to the criminal justice system. And it's like... That is Weasley. Like, that's such a... And it's alarming to so me that a Republican was willing to admit... That, yeah, there's no question. Like, even I, who am obviously very far left, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, well, I don't know if, you know, it's fair to say blah, blah, blah. And even like Trump himself, I think, said like, uh, you know, it wasn't my people. It was Antifa. So, like, it's one thing to outright yeah. deny it, but it's another thing to completely admit that it happened and then turn around and say, but we're not going to impeach. Yeah. Like, and that's what he said. Like, um, I think he actually said, there's no question that the president's words or actions instigated this. And it's just like, it's so like, like, this is what the right always does is like first, Oh, it was Antifa who broke the windows and it wasn't really, and that now it's like, Oh yeah, we did it. But, um, you know, we're not going to hold him accountable because he's not in office anymore. Right. And it's like, I just, I hate that because the precedent it sets, it's like, oh, so yeah. now this is something you can just get away with. And I mean, I hate to do the, the Hitler comparison, but, you know, <laughs> sometimes people, they, when you do there the is a comparison. resemblance. Yeah. But, you know, he um, led a failed coup before before he became dictator, obviously, didn't really get punished for it. And then and then came back and, you know, took things over and started the Nazi party. And, well, we know the rest of it. So it's like and I'm not saying that the next person who does that is necessarily Trump. Like he comes back in 2024 and runs again because which he could, because he's still very popular in the Republican party. Um, but somebody else like um, Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton or one of these extreme right-wing senators or, you know, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. I, I think he wants to make a run in 20, 2024. Or, or any, anybody else, Donald Trump's son. Like, the fact that you're not convicting this, especially, I mean, I mean, people literally died, and many more probably could have died if they weren't diverted away by, um, who's that officer? I think his name was Eugene Goodman, who, like, who like led the mob. Like, they, they were going to the Senate where all the senators were, and he led them, like, the other way. Like, I don't think people realize, like, how many more people were at risk of of dying and again that's like that's kind of an understatement because people did die right. but if they had gone to 
Mike Pence or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, who did you see that video of him running down the hallway? Yeah, that, that video of him running down the hallway was shown at the impeachment trial. Um, if they'd gone to any of them, it's like, yeah, what are they going to do? They're, they're pro- they would probably try to kill them. And that's really scary to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of people like it's it, the Republican Party is incredibly good at politicking. And what I mean by that is they often will work completely counterproductive to what logic would lead you to do what the taxpayer um, and the, you know, constituent would want, but they always act in the interests of their party. So I wonder if the strategy is to have Trump run for a second term, because probably what they're expecting is this Biden, um, you know, unity Democrat shtick that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks because biden is going to continue to try to compromise with the republican party what we're going to see is a bunch of democrats and republicans who maybe took a chance on biden and was like okay you know that's enough trump like you know we're gonna take a chance on this guy hopefully like we'll see some mass uh vaccination distribution hopefully we'll get these relief checks you know that's what he said he said those relief checks are going to go out the door and that's a promise so i wonder if the idea there by not impeaching trump is to give him a second chance at it because when you have you know this mass amount of voting populace that are going to be disappointed with biden at least from what it's looking like now because he hasn't fulfilled really any of his promises you will give trump a second opportunity so that's interesting. I think that that is one angle that this impeachment could take. But like my point in saying that the Republican Party is good at politicking is like they are just extremely good at refusing to compromise. And that always works out in their favor. And the Democrats have had this pattern in recent past of, you know, saying like, all right, like everybody has to get along. Like we're going to do what's best for the taxpayer uh, as long as we can get it through Congress and we'll make all these concessions. And the Republican Party refuses to do that. And it started with Newt Gingrich, as you know, uh, during the Obama administration. And they've just continued on that pattern of refusing to compromise. And all the, that's all the Democrats want to do. So to me, it, it, it really doesn't surprise me at all that Trump was acquitted. But the disturbing factor is, you know, what are the implications going to be of that? Yeah, it's a really weird, yeah, it's, it's really weird to think about because I think on the one hand, number one, they, they are great at politicking and the, the Democrats, and, and they're also, and they're so malicious about it because they'll be like, oh, you know, you guys have to unify with us. We need to, we need to be bipartisan. And then the Democrats will meet them on their terms and they'll say, no, it's not good enough. We need to run further to the right. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's their strategy to enact an even more right-wing agenda but i don't i don't know i don't exactly know because i mean trump is kind of and i i know that trump is kind of an an annoyance to like the establishment republicans like mitch mcconnell paul ryan those guys who don't want to answer for like his antics and his tweets and in this and that absolutely Um, they love him on the policy like he gives them all the policy like the tax cuts for the rich and the corporate deregulation. Um, he does, he, he does all that, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so weird. Cause I feel, I feel like this is going to be a big problem in 2024 is like dealing with all the diehard Trump people 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the the small portion of the party that is like, you know, they're like the, the George W. Bush conservatives. <laughs> really like, yeah, we want to do the terrible policies, but we want to do them with a smile on, on our face. <laughs> so I don't, I don't exactly know how that's going to work. But, but I don't know. They could, they could, they, they're, it could be a strategic maneuver. Um, if it were up to me, I think I would have gone the 14th Amendment route where you like basically bar him from running for office again. Because mm. that one, and I, and I read an article that they might try that after this. Um, but that one, this one, you would have needed a two-thirds majority. Like you wouldn't, for the impeachment, you wouldn't needed a two-thirds majority, which is 67 to actually convict him. Um, whereas that, you only need... Um, 60 you only need you can bypass the filibuster and you only need 60 votes to actually okay prevent him from running for office again and like i said seven gop people voted for this in um to convict him so you only need three more to bar him from running for office again and it's like could you get three republicans who are so annoyed with trump and so annoyed with answering for him again or answering for his antics again that they actually go along with that i don't know i mean now that this impeachment thing and this conviction thing is out of the way and the, and the trial and all that i think there's going to be less energy to to do that just because now it's like kind of in the background but i don't know that's probably the route i i would have taken because i feel like that's i feel like that's kind of a consequence that fix, fits the crime like yeah you incited an insurrection you you held this rally. You said we're going to go to the Capitol. We're going to make this right. Um, you had Kevin McCarthy. This was talked about at the hearing as well. Kevin McCarthy calling Trump, like telling him to tell the the rioters, the insurrectionists, to like yeah. stand down or whatever. And Trump was like, "Well, Kevin, I guess those people are more upset about the election than you are." Wow. So like he knew exactly what he was doing. And that's another thing, all the right-wingers. Oh, um, the, the people who, who love, love, um, love Trump for telling it like it is and um, saying what he means. Oh, he, he didn't really mean what he means. Like, that's another, another thing. Yeah, which is really wow. ironic. Yeah, considering like the entire uh, repertoire throughout his presidency was, you know, he's, he's a little uncouth, but he does, like you're saying, tells it like it is. But now... It, yeah, the narrative does, switches. <laughs> yeah, now the narrative switches, and oh, he he didn't mean that. Don't do that. Like, where does this come from? Yeah, what did what did he mean? What did he mean when he <laughs> held when he held a rally and told them to march to the Capitol, and, and the people had like had like hid weapons in the bushes the the night before. Like, it's definitely pretty damning. I do I do still stand by my previous assertion that those people should be held responsible for their own actions. Um, I don't know if Trump should be impeached on the insurrection in and of itself. However, I mean, you make a compelling point. He did tell people to march on the Capitol. So, and I I agree with another point that you made, specifically the precedent that it sets, because you're right. What it was, was pretty close to a coup. And even if, like I said, those people should be held responsible for their actions. I, I do think President's, President Trump's speech should be protected. But someone brought up a really good point to me the other day, which has kind of um, altered my opinion on this. And that is that 
public servants' freedom of speech should be held to a different level than a citizen's freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay. you know, that's a really good point because when he says something, he is like a like uh, head of state. It holds a, it, head of state. It, hold, it holds a lot more <laughs> weight head. when he says something. <laughs> He's a head of state. And so when he says something, you know, like that, it's it's so much easier for it to be taken a different way. He obviously has such a large platform being the president of the United States. So maybe he should be held to a different standard on the freedom of speech front. And I think that that is a very valid criticism of my previous position. Um, but that being said, I, I also worry about what it means for the next four years. I think, you know, like you're saying with, you need, what was it, 61 people to overturn him? 60. With the, 60? Oh, okay. Yeah, to so, prevent him from running for office again. Right. So what I would imagine happening is um, that a conglomerate of Republicans who are annoyed with him, don't want to, you know, front his antics anymore, comes together and says, um, listen, like, here is who we're going to support in 2024. And in order to not get Trump to run again, because his base will support him, so we can put an establishment Republican in there we're going to impeach that way. But again, it's, it is disturbing that they didn't impeach this time for the precedent factor alone, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, and I don't know, I guess if it were up to me, because of the fact that he's already out of office, I, I can see like, I, I, I can see the point of like, hey, even if we convict him, he's already gone. But that's why you could do the 14th Amendment thing and say, hey, we are stopping him from running for public office again because he incited an insurrection. Right. Like, so that that's kind of even more damning because it actually limits him in the future. Like, you can't run for office again. But again, because that wasn't like the thing they went to first and this has already happened and like, you know, about what is it like? What's the date today? A little over a month has gone by. I think it's it's going to be a lot harder to make that case now. But um yeah, I think I don't know. I just think that it's going to be very weird for the Republican Party going forward because I do think that Biden is going to underperform, you know? That's I think I think he's done like. I I don't want to I don't want to be too hard on Biden. I think he's been good with the vaccine distribution. His goal was a, a million a day for 100 days and we're at we're at like 1.4 million. So that's that's good, and, and cases are coming down, and I'm happy about that. But at the same time, <laughs> you said $2,000 checks. You went to Georgia and told them, hey, vote for these two Democratic senators, and we'll get you $2,000 checks. And now it's like, uh, four, uh, 1400 and you know, we'll cap it at 75 Well, now we'll cap it at 50 It's like, like leave it to the Democrats to take something that has like an overwhelming support and negotiate against themselves yeah. <laughs> like you are negotiating against yourselves oh oh joe manchin doesn't want to support it republicans don't want to support it okay well then go on tv and talk about how these how these people don't want to support giving giving people money at a, at a time when the real unemployment rate's like 10 percent and people are struggling how's that how's that going to sit with them absolutely like no and very few people i think that like Oh, we need less relief or like, like nobody's going to say, Oh yes, please, please don't, don't give me a check. Don't, don't like, don't raise right. my, my wage to $15 an hour. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Overwhelming support from the public who again, and I shouldn't even have to say this, the public 
these are the people who represent the public are the ones who are refusing to help them. How does that make any sense? And um, another thing I would like to point out is university, the University of Michigan came out with a study today that demonstrated that black people have been more impacted by COVID, which I think those of us paying attention to racial issues were already somewhat aware of, but um, there, there's numbers now that show that black people not only have been hospitalized more by COVID, more COVID deaths um, in black communities, but they were also financially impacted more because people in those communities are losing their jobs, you know, losing their jobs, whether they had to go to the hospital for COVID, they have a family member who has COVID, um, their job just doesn't exist anymore because of the pandemic. And therefore, that makes this a racial issue as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, black people, brown people, people living in poor areas or living at or below the poverty line because of issues that were already in play before the pandemic right. are, 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 are just impacted the worst when it comes to this because of a lot of those issues, but also because of the fact that they're the people who actually have to work through this and can't just work from home on yeah. Zoom like a lot of the people in the suburbs do. They're the ones who have to like go and work at the grocery store or deliver mm -hmm. food and, and do all the things that are going to put them at risk of getting COVID. And as a result, they get COVID, there's more deaths, there's more hospitalizations. And it's like, it's like you take all the problems that we talked, that we talked about before the pandemic and you just like amplify them. Yeah. Amplify them, hit the accelerator, make, make them worse. And, and you've got these idiot politicians. Saying, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll cap COVID relief. Maybe, maybe we'll limit it. I mean, it's just, it, it, it speaks to how out of touch these politicians are. And, and again, it's going to be a reason why if, if the Democrats keep this up, which it looks like they're going to, this, I mean, this is the reason why people don't want to vote for Democrats. Absolutely. You know, people Do came out to Democrats. vote. Yeah. People came out to vote for Biden because they were like, Oh my God, Trump is so terrible. This COVID pandemic has been a disaster. Please, just anything but him. Please give me the two thousand dollar checks. So, like, if you don't deliver strongly enough, and and this this is the part that's so annoying. Like, when Democrats don't deliver strongly enough, then the Republican Party will use that as ammo against them. Say, 100%. oh, do nothing, Democrats, and then people will go out and vote for Republicans who want to do even less for working people. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and well, it's just public it's. It's like, can we have an actual left-wing party, please? Right, absolutely. And there's been some talk of starting a people's party. Um, I've seen big figures on the far left, like Ryan Knight, advocating for that, um, just because the Democrats have been so, as of late, I'm not going to, you know, outright dismiss the entire party of the Democrats. I still align myself with the Democrats. Um, I think that maybe there is some room for improvement, because I see candidates like Cory Bush, candidates like Jamal Bowman, like there are these candidates who are running and running successfully. Um, and it, it just goes to show like, this is what people want. I mean, Bernie Sanders had, not to bring up Bernie Sanders like we always do, but he's just such a um, quintessential progressive that sometimes it just can't be avoided. But he had just millions and millions of supporters, the most, individual campaign 
contributors out of any presidential candidate ever. There is a strong, strong demand for progressive candidates. And that leads me to believe that maybe the solution is we take the existing Democratic Party that we have and we try to make it more progressive. I don't know if the solution is to create an additional party. Third parties, as you know, both you and I know, are not really successful um, just because of the, the voting system that we have. But I, it's disheartening when we see these Democrats in office like Pelosi, like Joe Biden, you know, again, and not to get down on him too much, want to give him a chance, but it's, it's just extremely disheartening to see these Democrats in office who are not, you know, using the progressive, like they're using the progressive rhetoric and then not following through on their promises. I find that extremely sad. Yeah, that's another thing too, because like, that shows you that they get it and they're just not going to act on it. Like to an extent or another, they get like, oh, these things are popular and we at least need to talk on about them. But, you know, if we actually deliver on them, that might, um, that might um, upset our corporate donors. Or, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this ideology has been like installed into everyone's mind since like the Reagan era of this like, you know, fiscal responsibility, deficit hawk, you know. And again, it's it's not even real because whenever it comes to like military spending or corporate bailouts, you know, they, they would just roll out the red carpet. You know, anytime it's for uh, people though, we have to means test it, we have to negotiate yep. it down. And I don't know, I've heard, I've heard some talk and I, I think that this is a little more unlikely that with actors in the Republican Party like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Karen Bobert and these Q people, combined with the fact that the Democratic Party has, is, is just going further and further to the right, you could get a situation where the Republican Party kind of fades away and the Democratic Party takes the place as the right-wing party. Interesting. And then you get um, the opportunity to form an actual left-wing party. I think that's very unlikely. Let me just disclaim that. Mm -hmm. um, but given how much, I mean, given how radicalized the Republican Party has gotten, over the last, I'd say, just 10 years, you know, ever since I started following politics when I was a teenager, where you first had, like, like Sarah Palin, like, oh, my gosh, you know, this lady, how, how could she possibly get on debate? <laughs> yeah, now you Sarah know? Palin is, like, a moderate. Yeah, so, like, does something like that happen? I don't know. But, um, again, because of the strategic disadvantage that third parties have, I think in the event that that doesn't happen, which, which it probably won't, I would be against forming a third party. And I think it's, it's going to be better for us if we can try to work within the democratic party itself. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be one of those people who, Oh, well, we need to work within the system. Like, I mean, Cori Bush is there as a Democrat, but she's not, she's not playing patty cake with Nancy Pelosi. Like, no, absolutely. Like she's I, well, clear about what she represents and what she's there to do. Absolutely. And I think like, there there comes a point where it is it at first it sounds like a damper to say well we need to work within the system but up until a certain point like i was talking about this with a buddy of mine today like i'm a democratic socialist i'm not a communist because i believe that what we have to do is ease the suffering of as many people as possible as soon as possible that is what i think politics should do 
um, you know, to put it in kind of a dismal way. I mean, obviously, I think we should help people. I think we should make their lives better. But what it comes down to for me is easing the suffering of people. And I think that the way to do that isn't going to be to have some revolution. I mean, if one were to happen where all of a sudden we had a new political system and we had, you know, people were getting paid a $15 minimum wage and everyone had health care after this, you know, crazy revolution, I would be open to that. But I just don't see it happening within the next, you know, 100 years. So my sort of modus operandi has always been, you know, let's, let's do what we can with what we have. And that isn't to be like, that doesn't mean that I'm jaded because I'm not, you know, many people would say, <laughs> many people do say like um, professors and stuff that I'm very idealistic, but I think that it's realistic to have expectations of a, you know, purportedly left-wing party and assume that they will carry out left-wing policies. Yeah, and I think, uh, I just, I hate the framing of, oh, you're an idealist. I'm a realist, you know, so I'm oh, more yeah. realistic. Because that's, that's a huge gaslighting technique where, <laughs> again, it's, it's, like, it's like their way of saying, you know, I'm, I'm more realistic, you know, you're an idealist out here, you know, and in fairyland or whatever yeah um and it's like no um the overwhelming majority of americans support the positions that i'm advocating for people want medicare for all people want to raise the minimum wage people want free college and student loan debt forgiveness people want to raise taxes on the rich these are not unpopular or or often the wilderness ideas they're very popular um if you just go issue for issue yeah absolutely but i think the question then becomes you know, if, if we're, what we're getting, as we just said, is this farther and farther right Republican Party, where we're getting this QAnon phenomenon, and then this farther and farther right Democratic Party, who is insisting relentlessly and unquestionably towards compromise, then where do the people fit into that? Because there are certainly a lot of people who identify as Republicans who um, support the policies that we're always talking about on this show, the who support Medicare for all, yada, yada, yada. So where do they come in? I guess, what's your opinion on, you know, like, for example, we talk a lot about the Emily Atkins article, the five types of Trump voters. That's fantastic. Viewers, I'll link it in the description and you guys can check that out because it's, I think it's crucial for understanding the fact that not all Trump supporters are a bunch of racist hillbillies. Um, And I think assuming that of them puts us at a strategic disadvantage. But my point is, what do we do with the people who feel disenfranchised by their government, support Trump or support Republicans, um, despite the fact that they also have support for policies that benefit working class people? So I think the best thing you can do is, first of all, kind of identify who those different types are, like... If there's someone who's like, you know, like legitimately advocating for genocide or something like that, (laughs) like I'm, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna point you out as my enemy. I'm gonna be against you. I'm gonna say this is why you're wrong, but this is why it's, it's important to identify the different types because there are people who voted for Trump, who are anti-establishment, who are against the the system or the status quo, or at least they say they are. They sympathize again with a lot of the issues that we're talking about. But they sort of get wrapped up in the culture war stuff or like 
like Ben Shapiro, our good friend Ben Shapiro, like he has this video. He put this video on his on his YouTube channel um, a couple days ago. Um, LOL, chest feeding term now being used to be more gender inclusive. Like this is how the right remains relevant is by talking about this culture war bullshit. Yeah. Well, he, here's the thing. You will not find a video of him like arguing for like lower tax cuts for the rich or arguing for him to like for like a lower stimulus or to like take away health care from people even though he likes those things because even his own audience and we've seen this when he talked about how you know trump should have like been more forceful with iran that video got like ratioed the heck out of like everybody in his own audience disliked that because they were like what are you talking about you 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 hawk imperialist so like that shows you that like even people who identify as conservative um like if you if you talk about the actual issues with them they will come to a lot of the same conclusions that we have but that's what we have to do we have to talk about the issues and get away from this culture war nonsense that that has distracted so many people and another thing is and i've noticed this with people when i was phone banking for bernie and i talked to republicans i talked to people who identified as conservatives and i converted them um, one of the ways I did it was, and I take a lot of credit for that, because one of the ways I did it was Good. talking about things that they already agree with, you know, like, hey, are you against the establishment? Are you against the status quo? Uh, are you against politicians who take big money and then do favors for their donors? Um, those are things that people, are you anti-war? You know, those are pe- things that people are going to say, yes, yes, I agree with those things. You know, and then I would say, well, hey, me too, you know, and I know Trump talked about a lot of those things, but, you know, unfortunately, he just didn't deliver. All right. But here's this guy who actually did and has a track record of, of, of doing it, you know, so I think, I think that's, that's what you have to do. You have to try to meet people where they're at, assuming they're not too far gone. And then you have to stay issues based with them. You know, because once you start talking, because even though most people I agree on the issues, once you start like getting into the partisanship and talking about labels and the culture or nonsense, that's when people, that's when people sort of run off into their partisan corners. But if you just focus on the issues um, themselves and the policies, that's how you can, that's how you can get a lot of people to sort of get together, you know, and fight for a lot of the same things we're talking about. Yeah. I think what's interesting about what you mentioned, the culture war, and I think what that comes down to for a lot of people are really somewhat surface level issues like the transgender bathroom debate, or, you know, you just mentioned the gender neutral term chest feeding to refer to breastfeeding, uh, which transgender um, men can do as well. I think what stands out for me with a lot of those culture war issues is that they are based in feminism. And it is eerie to me that a lot of these gender issues are the ones that seem to get people riled up in the sense that, you know, we have these far left individuals who I believe mean well. And when, you know, something happens, like someone is misgendered or someone uses the wrong pronouns, then they are attacked. And I think that is part of the cause for a lot of this animosity is because not everyone has a women's and gender studies degree. And I say that as someone, you know, who did 
two years as a research assistant for a women's and gender studies professor. Like I know that social justice issues are important. I know that feminism is important, but I think that when we get to a point where we're so rabid on these culture war issues, and that's not to say in any respect that um, trans, the transgender community's issues aren't important, but I think that when we come at any issue without an attempt to understand that the other side comes from a place of ignorance rather than animosity, I think that we get ourselves into trouble. And it's really a shame that a lot of those issues center around feminism. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why, I think that a lot of it comes from the fact that women are seen as whiny, like subconsciously. I think that we think women are just kind of like whiny. And so when issues around feminism pop up or issues around gender pop up, it's, oh, come on, like this isn't that big of a deal. You're demonizing me for making a mistake. And I think that is why we haven't seen more progress on that end and why it's kind of been written off. Uh, I would say that's kind of their caricature, their caricature of, of the left entirely is that they're whiny or yeah. they're, um, or they're, you know, too much in their feelings. They're too emotional. Which is hilarious because then, you know, they'll turn around and say, oh, my gosh, Antifa is coming to burn down your house. <laughs> They're very so scared of Antifa. Yeah, it's um, I mean, I think you're right. I was just talking more of like how like all of Ben Shapiro and, and not to just focus on him. No, but he's a know, great example. He's, a he's great not worth point. focusing on. But yeah, he is. Um, I mean, he's the mo- one of the most prominent conservatives and all his stuff is culture war. BS. And, and again, it's not, I don't want to say it's BS because these issues aren't like you just said, but this is the stuff, what, what I, and I wasn't saying that to dismiss it. No. And I know that but, you aren't. I just think it, it distracts from a lot of economic issues. Like the social well, that's, issues that's, have become that's the point so I'm much making. of their focus that we can't even focus on the economic issues, which have social issues underlying them. Like how we just mentioned um, the economic failure of you know covid response in black communities all of these social issues have underlying economic problems yeah Yeah. this is what will get them out this is what will get them enraged and again that's it's a problem that they're getting enraged about this but it's also true that you know this is i think a strategic part on people like ben shapiro who are who are you know very very prominent right wingers to distract people from the economic issues or the things that are actually going to help them. Like, hey, you know, let's have some guy in Southeast Michigan get mad a, I don't know, gender pronouns or something. Right. And that's never going to affect him. You know, right. And distract him from that, you know, so that he, I don't know, votes, votes Republican so that that Republican can block him from getting health care or getting a raise in his wage. You know, because he cares more about, you know, someone using gender pronouns than that. And, and, and he might not, but he's just like so blindsided by that because that's all he sees that he ends up voting Republican or voting for the conservative candidate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's part of the problem is that these are all just distractions or another great example of the culture war issues are like, you know, people being proud to be an American. There's a lot of that sentiment, like patriotism in and of itself or support of the troops becomes a culture war issue. Whereas 
most people, if you ask them, you know, if you say like, do you know, should we go to war with, or like, should we still be in Afghanistan? I think a lot of people would either tell you that it is too hard for us to leave Afghanistan, which is why we're still there, or that they want us to leave Afghanistan. I don't think that anyone, if asked, and you know, maybe for our listeners out there, if, if you adamantly believe that we should still be in Afghanistan because we are doing something, well, then <laughs> I, what are we doing? I, I don't know what to say to you, but I, my point is that, um, like, I, I think most people have asked are, are generally anti-war. They don't want to see their country go to war. They know that it results in casualties on both sides. But I think that, you know, this support our troops narrative gets all wrapped up and we can't even focus on let's get out of Afghanistan. How can we do this in a sustainable way? But it becomes a matter of support our troops, which I, it's just so distracting yeah, from that's... the real issue. So that would be another culture war issue. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be another one where, um, you know, uh, that's their way of saying, you know, support the war basically without saying support the war. Right. You know? But, that's, but so that's like, the thing. It's disguised. Let me talk about the, the troops because everyone loves the troops, right? You can't be against the troops. And then they use that to, um, to, you know, make that war go on for, I mean, what has it been like 20 years? Yeah, literally 20 years now we've wow. been in Afghanistan. Nobody's bothered to define victory. Nobody's presented any strategy. We don't even talk about it anymore. You know, like it's not even on the news. It, we're just gonna we're just gonna be there um, indefinitely. It, it, it seems, um, and yeah, but but it gets and and you're right. It gets wrapped up in this support our troops, the American flag, and you see this. Like if you go to a Republican rally, they never talk about how you know they they were they tried to repeal Obamacare with no replacement. They never talk about how they gave a multi-trillion dollar tax cut to the rich, with which added $2 trillion to the deficit and raised taxes on anyone making 75 grand a year or less. They'll never talk about how they rolled back a lot of the regulations put in place after the Wall Street crash in, in 2008 that protect consumers. All of it is just the American flag. I'm patriotic. I'm, we're here to protect you. Absolutely. Um, support our guns. troops. So, yeah, guns. guns. That's another big culture war. Is you, no, yeah. Nobody is coming to repeal your Second Amendment, but they <laughs> yeah, make them think the that they, they are, so them. that they vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that they vote for them. And oh man, that's that's going to be that. That's a big one. Like when I was doing my my research for my um paper last semester, I didn't realize how prevalent of an issue that was but when i and, I, and you know because i interviewed you when i asked people and i said you know, about i think i mentioned Democrats guns. And Republicans. yeah i yeah. think every person one of the first things they said second amendment guns and i was like dang i mean and it, it's i mean just i knew the fact is that guns are not they should not be held on equal footing as the two thousand dollar covid stimulus checks they should not exactly. be held on equal footing to universal health care. Um, yeah, they are again, not the same no as equality for black and brown communities. Guns, it's, it's, it's culture war. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that, and that's the thing. On top of that, the only way to um, repeal, repeal an amendment yeah. is to add another one, you know, yep. just like with prohibition, you know, the 18th Amendment, 21st repealed it, you know. Nobody is going to, they, they are not, you're not going to get, what is it like 
two thirds of both houses and three fourths of the states. You need like 38 states to, to add a constitutional amendment. That's not going to happen. No, it's the, same the Democrats thing with are the, too willing to compromise. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, that's it, especially with um, yeah, how many red states there are and it's just not going to happen. It's like the Roe v. Wade thing, the abortion thing, mm-hmm. which I know is kind of an issue that's, that's, that's a more, I've noticed that's a more like, that's an issue that a lot of older people care about, you know, but even when I was, when I was canvassing and this was years ago for um, my democratic uh, state representative um, who won and who's still in office, by the way, um, I asked a lot of, whenever I would ask older people, seniors um, who were conservative, you know, or I would ask them about the election or I'd go to their house and, and give them literature or whatever. Um, they would always be like, oh, is he in favor of, of abortion? Is he pro-life or is he pro-choice? And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, I mean, I, w- I would be honest with them, but I would also tell them, hey, he's a state legislature. He has no right. bearing on that Supreme Court case. Like that Supreme Court case <laughs> is not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, but again, it's, they will take that and forget about the fact that Republicans would love to privatize social security they love to privatize medicare and those issues those programs that they themselves benefit from and and that will blindside those issues right that, absolutely that, that issue of abortion it's interesting that abortion and guns are so prevalent in people's minds because while you know gun safety is an issue while abortion access and affordability is definitely an issue i don't think that the problem at hand is that these things are going to be immediately revoked. And that is the way that it's often presented to us. And I believe that that is just a distraction from, again, some of these larger economic issues, like, like you're saying, social security, like tax cuts for the rich. And it's, it's almost as if we're watching, not to sound too conspiratorial, but it's almost as if we're watching this puppet show of the guns and abortions and, you know, (laughs) these things dancing around in front of our eyes while behind the scenes, these politicians are taking money from corporate interests, acting, um, doing the bidding of corporate interests, like, you know, Monsanto, like Blue Cross Blue Shield. All of these people are actually pulling the strings while we're sitting here staring at guns and abortions. Yeah, bickering about what bathrooms people can use. Exactly. And again, that's not to say, and Nick and I are absolutely not saying that gun safety is not an issue. We are not saying that access to abortion and abortion affordability is not an issue. But what we're saying is that there is a larger puzzle at play here and that those things are often used to distract from the underlying issues, such as money and politics, that are the reason that people cannot have much better quality of life. Yeah, it's a strategic maneuver that the Republican Party is using and has used that allows them to get out of talking about some of those economic issues. You know, oh, I don't have Absolutely. to talk about I don't have to talk about why I'm trying to take away people's health care or why I'm why I, I'm the Republicans actually voted to raise taxes on working people. I don't have to talk about any of that. Um because you know something something guns something something abortion yeah need to protect the american dream i mean that's every republican ad is it's just like uh, it's 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 virtue signaling it's it's hilarious it's virtue signaling yeah it's the same thing that they accuse the left of doing 
it's it's emotional stuff. You're on. What do they always say? There. They say, "Oh, the left is always in their feelings, or they're so emotional." And that's like every ad. It's like it's like a prairie, and then like a farm <laughs> with the American flag. And it's just it's 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 designed to like pull at your heartstrings. It's like yeah. It's like oh, tear up at the national anthem. I mean, it's <laughs> with just, an eagle just gently flying across the screen. Yeah, the American flag, the eagle, the like the the we the people part of the Constitution, but I've never actually <laughs> read it. Yeah, it's okay, yeah, it's it's virtue signaling. Yep, it's playing on people's emotions, and I think we need to get better at pointing that out. You know, yeah. don't let them pretend to be the party of patriotism. Don't let them try to accuse the left of virtue signaling when we're talking about issues like people's health care, people's economic well being. You know. Those, those are real issues, all right? The, the things that they're talking about, I don't want to say they're not real issues because they are, but they're, again, they're, they're using them to distract their own, their own voters. All right. So I guess there's nothing left 